Joining us on this episode of the Real Talk on Women's Health podcast with Essentia Health, we have a cardiologist in studio, Dr. Katherine Benziger. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for inviting me. This is a topic I feel like we could talk about for hours, but we're going to try not to keep you here for hours. But I want to start by kind of just learning about you and why you chose to become a cardiologist. That's a great question. And I think cardiology, I think, is one of the most exciting fields in medicine because you get to take care of patients uh, when they're in the hospital as well as when they're in the clinic. And you get to take care of them when they're really sick and also see them when they're really well and recovering after, say, a heart attack. Uh, When I decided to go into medicine, I had a mentor, somebody that I worked with when I was uh, in college who was a cardiologist, and she was a female and she had a family, and I decided I wanted to be just like her, and I uh, tried to find another specialty that I liked more and just kept coming back to cardiology because it is a lot of fun. Uh, We do a lot of different procedures as well as I get to see patients and, and talk to them and their families and get to know them uh, over time. Did you ever consider maybe not being a cardiologist or was that just always what you wanted to do? Well, my dad's a family medicine physician. So I always imagined a doctor like someone like my dad who, you know, when the, you're on an airplane and they need, a, you know, someone to respond to an emergency, you would be able to respond. Uh, so somebody who's uh, more well-rounded in terms of their training, being able to take care of a variety of different things was important to me. So I did internal medicine training for my initial residency and then went on and did additional training in cardiology. Uh, to learn more specifically about the heart and blood vessels. So cardiologists do so many things. What is one part of being a cardiologist that you're most passionate about? Is there one part of your job that sticks out? I would love to be out of a job and have no heart disease in this area and have everybody be so healthy that we don't have to have cardiologists. So prevention is my focus. It is my passion. I think whatever we can all do to try to maintain our heart health and not have to come see me is what I would hope. Yeah, we're going to get into that because I have questions about that. But last question, kind of just about your day to day. What is like a day for you as being a cardiologist? What I love is every day is different. Every day I wake up and I go to work and I'm on a different assignment. I don't know what I'm going to be seeing that day in terms of uh, patients. Some of them are young, uh, 1920s, 30 year olds. Sometimes I see all 80, 90 year olds uh, in a clinic day. Other days, like uh, last week, I was on the hospital service taking care of patients who are critically ill uh, in the intensive care unit here at, at Essentia Health. Health in Duluth. I also see patients uh, who are not doing well in the emergency room, uh, having symptoms, and we need to decide about do they need additional testing or or how can we get them on medications and things to make them feel better. So every day is different, and and that's what uh, variety is a spice of life. Yeah, that's that's even for cardiologists. That's good to know. So I want to talk a little bit about is it true that women have a greater risk of heart disease? Did I make that up in my head, or is that a real thing? Well, I think you know traditionally we've always thought of heart disease. Being being a man's disease. And we know that it is the number one killer for women, uh, but one in three women will die of heart disease or stroke. And these are, you know, still today, you know, even just like it was 30 years ago, the, n- the number one thing that affects women. Uh, and so it's something that we all need to be aware of. And traditionally, all of the research had been done largely in men. And so I think there's still a lot we need to learn about how heart disease affects women. And that's what we're working on currently with some of the research projects that we're doing uh, at Essentia and nationally. Women's heart issues, how do those present differently than men's? Because obviously, you know, it's going to vary. Yeah, we talk about a man's heart attack being kind of a classic elephant sitting on your chest, radiating into your jaw, down your arm, sometime your back, getting sweaty, feeling a little uh, like you're feeling a little nauseous, maybe you need to throw up. That's been the traditional heart attack type symptoms. And there are women who do experience some of those symptoms. But more often I hear from my female patients that it's more of a tightness or discomfort or a pressure in their chest. You know, maybe it goes to the arm or 
jaw, but sometimes it's just like a band across the chest. It's usually, again, worse when you're exercising or carrying laundry up the stairs or walking up an incline. And often it's associated with more shortness of breath or, or just feeling tired. And a lot of people uh, don't realize it's their heart because it's not an elephant sitting on their chest. And so they don't get seen right away. And that's what we want to educate women about these more atypical symptoms, the shortness of breath, the fatigue that may be their heart, especially if it's related to uh, exercise. Well, that leads me to another question because, you know, we all make the jokes like, oh, I'm tired walking up the stairs. What's like that threshold, I guess, of like, okay, maybe I should see a doctor rather than I might just be a little out of shape and maybe should go out for a few more walks or something like that? No, that's a good good question, especially this time of year when we've been all cooped up inside and it's finally going to be nice soon and we want to be getting outside and we want everybody to be active. We want everyone to, you know, exercise at least 30 to 60 minutes a day is what the American Heart Association recommends. And, and we want people to just move, move your body, sit less, move more. And if you notice that when you're every time that you're going up that flight of stairs or going up that incline, that you're having any of that discomfort, some people also may see, they say that it might be like reflux type symptoms. But if it, again, it's associated with doing something that's hard and exertional, it could be that that's your heart and not your stomach. So I guess what I would recommend for now is just start slow, uh, talk to your doctor if you are having any symptoms that are you know happening over and over, and, and you might need to get that looked at with like a stress test or, or like a CAT scan. So I just turned 31. For people that might maybe be in their 20s, do they even need to worry about this? Women in particular, is that something they should be keeping their eye on? Or is that maybe a little too early? You know, there is no age that is too young to have heart problems. There are babies that are born with heart problems and heart valve problems. Uh, young babies, young kids have surgery at a young age, something called congenital heart disease. There's also things that uh, you inherit from your mom and dad and in, are in your genetics, like high cholesterol. And a lot of times you already know this because your parents are on cholesterol medication or your grandpa had a heart attack at a young age or your grandma. And this is something that can affect you, especially if you inherit uh, or get genes from both your mom and your dad that put you at higher risk. You can have a heart attack at a young age. Uh, the youngest patient I've ever had that's had a heart attack was age 16. Uh, more commonly, we see it in people in their 30s and 40s and 50s, especially if they're smokers. Uh, smoking definitely will increase your risk if you have a uh, high cholesterol. Uh, but traditionally, people don't have heart attacks uh, until they're more in their 60s and 70s. What are some of those signs that maybe aren't so obvious? I think, you know, we think traditionally about the heart being problems with blockages in the heart arteries, but I like to think of the heart like a house. And there's four rooms. There's two rooms up top, the atria, two rooms on the bottom, the ventricles. We have four heart valves. They're like the doors between the rooms. And you can have problems with uh, the, the valves not opening properly or not closing properly. You can also have problems with the plumbing, having heart attacks and having cholesterol build up in those arteries. And then you can also have electrical problems. Atrial fibrillation is probably the most common electrical problem that we see in older folks. And that's uh, an irregular heartbeat. There's a lot of things that can go on with the heart that we treat uh, and can have very different symptoms. Uh, the good news is these days you have a lot of technology at your fingertips. Uh, people have Apple watches that have uh, the ability to take an EKG and, and detect atrial fibrillation. You know, blood pressure cuffs are very easy to get these days uh, at the pharmacy. And if you're on blood pressure medication, we recommend that you are checking that regularly. Uh, so there's a lot of tools that you can use. And then you can talk to your, your doctor or primary care provider about, you know, what symptoms you're having. And I feel like the worst thing you can do is maybe ask your doctor and they say you're fine, but better to get checked if you think something's bothering you. Definitely. And, and, and we don't want people to be overly anxious and worried, but you know, it's a matter of if you particularly have a strong family history, uh, you do want to be extra diligent about telling your primary care doc about any symptoms you may be having. 
having. There are newer, less invasive ways that we can check out the heart, uh, doing things like a coronary artery calcium scan. It's a very quick 15 minute calcium, looks at the cholesterol that hardens in the arteries and uh, gives you a score. Uh, that's a, a nice way to see if you need to be on like a cholesterol medication or not. Uh, there's also tests like stress tests where we have people walk on a treadmill uh, to see if, if we can reproduce their symptoms. So there's lots of different things we can do to detect uh, heart disease. It's not a death sentence. There's things you can do, right? Definitely. And I think this is where prevention comes in. So the earlier that we can detect heart disease and diagnose it, then the quicker we can get people on the better heart healthy lifestyle. That's number one for everybody. And then medications, if we can't get to our goals with the blood pressure or cholesterol or the diabetes uh, with the heart healthy lifestyle. So let's say somebody's like in their 20s or their 30s, maybe even their 40s. What are things like I could be doing right now? Obviously, I can't prevent everything, but what are some things that I could be doing to be more proactive? Well, I think the first thing is there's a lot of young people who don't go to the doctor. And, you know, the American Heart Association recommends at least every four to six years, you should be going to the doctor to get your numbers checked, get your labs drawn, know what your cholesterol is, know your numbers, know your blood pressure, uh, know what weight category you're in. So that's, I think, a first start. If you haven't been to the doctor recently, go. Uh, The second thing would be if you smoke cigarettes, you use any sort of uh, e-cigarettes or vaping, or even now marijuana use is all linked to increase heart disease risk. So we strongly recommend cutting back quitting, picking a quit date, uh, really cutting back on uh, tobacco because that's only going to put you at higher risk in the future. The other thing that you know we say is that you want to make sure that you're exercising. And I think a lot of our jobs these days are sitting in front of computers and in chairs and not, not moving very much. And so just trying to make sure that you're exercising uh, routinely uh, is, is really super important for your long-term heart health. Are there any stories over your career that stick out to you from maybe like a patient that you've had that you've seen them like turn their life around or maybe just like a story that will always stick with you throughout the course of your career? Yeah, I have I have two. One uh, was a very, very sweet woman I took care of. Uh, she was a grandmother and her whole family was up uh, they lived on a lake in northern Minnesota. They were all up for a fishing trip and everybody was out on the boat fishing and she was at the cabin by herself. Uh, and in the morning before they were leaving, she had noticed a little bit of uh, indigestion and she didn't tell anybody about it because she didn't want to ruin the fishing trip. And so everybody's out and, and she couldn't get a hold of anyone and, and the indigestion got worse. And then it became more of a tightness in her chest. And she thought I would just kind of lay down and wait for them to come back. A couple hours passed and then they you know came back for lunch. Uh, and found her, you know, she was really uncomfortable and they called 911 and she came in and she had had a, a very large heart attack and her heart was then very weak because she had waited so long uh, to call 911 uh, and be seen. And then unfortunately, a few weeks later, she had what we call a cardiac arrest. A cardiac arrest is when the heart stops beating or goes into a funny uh, beat and nobody in her family knew CPR and she lived far away on a lake uh, and it took uh, the emergency medical system a half hour, 45 minutes to get there and they were unable to, to save her. And I think this is a reminder, just like with Damar Hamlin and the football player in, in January who had a cardiac arrest, everybody needs to learn how to do CPR. And I think the first thing that would have helped my patient would have been if she had called 911 early uh, and called herself uh, rather than waiting for family to come. And then the second thing was just everybody needs to learn hands-only CPR. You call 911, you put your hands on their chest. There's YouTube videos you can watch from the American Heart Association that teach you how to do it, but you 
you can save a life. And and unfortunately, you know, she she didn't make it. The other one that is a success story, I think, is a woman who loved gardening. And she, this time of year, would be getting all of her gardens ready and planting all of her seeds. And, and she just loved being outside all summer in the garden. And over the past few years, she had been getting more and more short of breath and just really had to give up gardening because she just couldn't do it. And she kept taking Tums and, and things that she thought were for more of her reflux. And the reflux just kept getting worse and worse. Finally, she went to her doctor. They ordered a coronary artery calcium scan, and it was one of the highest uh, numbers I had ever seen. It was in the 2000s. And it turned out that it wasn't her reflux. It was actually heart disease. And she ended up getting uh, two stents put in two different arteries. And she came back to see me and she said she has not felt this good in 10 years and is so excited to get back to gardening. I think sometimes we just try to suck it up and suffer. And, and it's really not something that you want to uh, wait. You want to talk to your doctor about. Yeah. So I also want to ask you about the men in my life. You know, they're kind of stubborn when it comes to their health. Maybe they don't take as good of care of themselves as they should. Do you have any tips on maybe like what to look out for um, when it comes to heart disease or heart issues in men or, and maybe some tips on how they can take care of themselves a little better? Definitely. And I think this comes from a lot of people were athletes in high school, maybe even in college. They felt like they could eat excess calories because they were exercising a lot. And then when you get a desk job or a day job, uh, you just aren't exercising at that same level. And so those pounds start creeping on. And next thing you know, you've gained 50 or you know even 100 pounds since you were in high school. And it can be really difficult then to, to exercise or get back to those activities that you want. And I would just say you got to start somewhere. So I know somebody who has you know lost considerable amount of weight just by walking. And, and he's just tried to walk. Initially, it was trying to get uh, 8,000 steps a day, then 10,000. Then he tried for 15. Now I think he does almost 20,000 steps a day and he's got a watch and he tries to keep that up and and it's walking everywhere, you know, around town in the winter, in the rain, in the snow, uh, in the sun. And, and that's all you really need. You don't need to play basketball or, you know, be a competitive athlete to maintain a normal weight and uh, take care of yourself. Yeah. I think a lot of people think, oh, if I'm going to lose weight, I have to go do all these like intense activities. But anytime I've ever lost weight, it's just been walking every day, just getting out there and just trying to get 10,000 steps. Yeah. And there was recently a study looking at 10,000 versus 8,000. And it seems like the benefit is probably somewhere around kind of the 8,000 mark. So if you can't quite get to 10,000, at least get to 8,000, I would say. Uh, but for most people, most days that requires intentionally going for a mile or two walk because you're just not getting enough steps in. And if you don't have one of these fitness watches and things that track them, a lot of your phones, uh, if you bring your phone with you, can also keep track of that and just take a look at it. And it's shocking some days how few steps uh, you've actually taken. As a takeaway are some maybe just overall general lifestyle tips for anybody of any age that we can all try to implement um, this spring to be a little bit healthier. Yeah, I think, you know, little things like you said, trying to walk on your lunch break, having walking meetings if you can, uh, trying to just incorporate more physical activity into your day, parking farther away, or even maybe uh, walking or biking to your place of trans and using more active transportation rather than driving all the time. Uh, those are some easy ways to get more active. Again, if you smoke or use e-cigarettes, you know, trying to pick a quit date is so important. Uh, getting help, it takes a few times uh, to quit, but that is really one of the biggest risk factors for heart disease. Uh, and then, you know, the other things, uh, knowing your numbers. So if you haven't, make an appointment with your primary doc to get your cholesterol checked. Make sure you don't have prediabetes or diabetes. Uh, and if you have a family history of, say, aortic dissection or hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which is a thick heart or a 
heart valve that was replaced. These are things that can run in families. And so you may need to get uh, something called an echocardiogram or an ultrasound of the heart to look to see if you uh, also have those diseases. I'm scared to ask this question, but what are some foods as a cardiologist that you would probably never eat or that you think people should maybe replace in their diet? You know, I I have not been to the Minnesota State Fair recently, but pretty much anything on a stick, I would say, uh, while very delicious, is probably not good for your heart. But I am looking forward to hopefully going uh, this year. I think everything in moderation mm-hmm. is really important. So the more fresh fruits, fresh vegetables, whole foods, uh, limiting animal products, there's a lot of saturated fats that come from uh, our intake of uh, red meats, even the way we raise chickens in the United States. Uh, they're not the leanest uh, protein either. Uh, so more fish, just more fruits and vegetables in your diet. The other thing is sodium. So if you have high blood pressure, sodium is really the biggest culprit and it's just in a lot of the foods that we eat. So really paying attention to the labels, trying to find the low sodium options uh, and trying to eliminate or really significantly cut back on sodium in your diet. Uh, that will really help lower your blood pressure. And I like hearing you say everything in moderation because you got to live a little, but as long as you live healthy, 95% of the time you can eat the one thing on a stick <laughs> once a year. Maybe I don't want to get in trouble here. So is there anything maybe that I didn't ask you that you want people to know? You know, I think the other thing that's been controversial is, is alcohol and its relationship with the heart. I think for a long time we thought, or the Europeans really felt strongly that wine was really healthy for your heart. I think the way that our relationship with alcohol in this uh, country is different than the Europeans a little bit. And there's been recent evidence that show that really no alcohol use is healthy for your heart. So again, I think it's in moderation. We know that alcohol at high levels is very toxic to the heart, uh, but that's when you get to kind of the six, seven drinks a day. I don't recommend that. But again, just trying to kind of cut back and, and everything in moderation, you know, to try to be healthy. Well, thank you so much. I think we covered all the questions. I, I learned a lot. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This is great to talk to you.